Hey there. I hope you are having an amazing, wonderful day or night, of course, depending on when you're here. Today, we might ruffle some feathers. We're going to be talking about whether HR is for or against the employees. Stay with me. You're listening to the Career Talk, a Learn, Grow, Thrive podcast, where we talk about all the things career-related. I tell you how it is, and we get right to the point. I am your host, Stephanie Dennis. My background is in HR, which is what I have my master's degree in. And this is a good time to mention this podcast does contain adult language. Well, let's get into it. Ah, the ultimate HR question. <laughs> Why is HR there? Who does HR represent? There are a lot of different beliefs on this one, and this one might, let's be honest, piss some people off, and that's okay, because as we always say, we're going to have the real talk and the real conversation, so let's get into it. HR, are they for us, against us, for the employer, against the employer? Why are they there? Unfortunately, there isn't a simple yes or no, you know, employee's employer answer. It really is going to depend on the company. That said, make no mistake about it. HR, part of their job is to protect the company, right? There are a lot of laws when it comes to the world of HR and people. So some companies call it human resources, some call it people and culture, but there's a lot of laws in a lot of different countries that the HR team has to know and protect the company against. I make sure that the practices and policies and and procedures that we all go through on a day-to-day basis are adhering to those laws and regulations. In a good organization, the HR or people and culture team, depending on what your company calls it, is also there to advocate for the employees within the organization. So it's not a simple one or the other answer which is okay because it's the truth, right? With that, here are some points that HR should be doing to support an entire organization and the employee population. Let's get into it. Number one, setting clear expectations. I think most people can agree that we thrive and do better and do our best when we know what is expected of us, whether it's at work, at home, in relationships, and again, professional or personal, right? If your manager expects XYZ from you and you're over here working on ABC, you're both going to be frustrated as hell, right? (laughs) That's not going to lead to anything good. So an HR and people in culture are there to support setting those clear expectations expectations, or they should be. Number two, consistent feedback. Feedback should not be given only during a performance review cycle. Some companies are going to do performance reviews once a year. Some are going to be twice a year. Some companies even do it every quarter. That said, people in culture or HR, we'll just go with people in culture for the rest of the podcast. I don't keep saying the same thing over and over. (laughs) Is going to be supporting and encouraging the leaders and peers to give each other feedback consistently all year round. Because how do we get better? By feedback. Good and bad, right? Hey, Steph, that project you did, awesome. Hey, Steph, that project, well, awesome. Here's what I think we could have done better. All of that is going to be valuable, right? Because you want to keep doing the things that are working and proving to be successful. But then you also, if there's things we can make better or maybe things that simply don't work, then that's okay. We want to change those and have the opportunity to pivot. Number three, consistent and clear performance review cycles. You should know when your performance review cycle is, period. It shouldn't be a surprise. (laughs) Now, whether or not you're paying attention, that is a very different conversation. However, it should be communicated in different avenues, right? Maybe it's email, maybe it's Slack, maybe it is on a company town hall. Ideally, it's all three or in ways that, you know, 
whatever works for your company. But there shouldn't be, for example, just one Slack message a month before performance review time because you're going to need time to prepare and plan ahead. Number four, pay transparency. And this one, I mean, this whole episode might be ruffling feathers, but this one specifically is a very controversial topic within the people and culture uh, in different companies. My personal belief is that we're not sharing what everyone makes. However, at a minimum, we should be sharing what the ranges are for jobs. So let's say Stephanie, as a recruiter, maybe there is like a, a wiki page, right? That has all the different ranges. And maybe senior recruiter, let's just say for simple sake, it's a level 10. I should be able to go in and see, okay, here's what a level 10 is. And a step further, here's the different roles that fall under a level 10. And also, let's say I want to make a career move and I want to go to be a customer success manager, or I want to join the marketing team, and I'm looking at different jobs to move internally, I should also be able to go to said wiki or whatever the resource is, right? And look at what those ranges are going to be. I can appreciate companies that do share employees pay ranges because it holds everybody accountable. However, I also feel like there is some privacy along with that. So I think as a society, we're probably not there yet. I think at one point we probably will be, but at a bare minimum, there should be transparency around what the ranges are. Number five, succession planning. People in culture team, they have to do it. At least they should. (laughs) It is... It's fueling success, right? You may or may not know that it's happening because usually this is done behind the scenes and done with leaders. If you're a leader and you're not part of these conversations, it's definitely something I would bring up. If you are an individual contributor, again, you're probably not going to know what's happening. That said, you definitely could have a conversation with your manager around what does succession planning look like for you, meaning where do they see your career going? Because usually in succession planning, they're going to map out like high performers, high value employees, low performers, things like that. And they're constantly, or they should be (laughs) constantly planning for the what ifs, right? If you leave, if your colleague leaves, what does that look like for the team? What does the career path look like for people on the team? What's the next steps? What are promotions? Blah, 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 blah. Number six, regular check-ins. If you have never heard from someone on your uh, people and culture team, that would be a little concerning. And I'm not saying they should check in all the time because that might just cause like unnecessary anxiety. Also, if you are on the people and culture team and you want to do a check-in, there is too much anxiety in the world. So send your calendar invite, check in with, you know, whoever from the people and culture team and even put in like the body of the invite or the title, nothing to worry, just to check in or don't be alarmed. Because if you get a random invite from someone from an HR team without any context, I promise you 99% of us are going to freak out. <laughs> it's just, it's just what happens. So check in, make that part of the culture, but also assure your employees that it, there's nothing to be alarmed about if that is truly the case, right? So don't put that if you're doing an investigation or something like that, because that's just unethical and a lie, which I'm not a fan. <laughs> Number seven, be approachable. People on the people and culture team should be approachable. They should be the team that employees want to go to if they have issues or they want to talk about something or they want to get feedback. When HR teams are closed off and give the vibe of, I'm only here to do my job and check the box and I really don't give a shit, so many things are at risk. And 
when people and culture teams are done well, they're true business partners. They really partner with all aspects of the organization to truly help the company reach their goals and be successful. So in order to do that, you have to be able to talk about stuff. Every company has issues and problems, but leveraging your corporate functions like people and culture and other leaders within the organization is going to be how we all do that as a team versus individual silos, which goes right into number eight, being a true partner, right? So it's not just HR. And if someone's in trouble, we're going to HR, we're going to tattle to HR, or sometimes there's actually legit things we need to talk to HR about, like serious issues. So I'm not saying like they're just there, you know, for people to tattle, but I've also seen a lot of petty bullshit get brought up to HR that has no business being talked about. But they they're a business partner. They are there to support the company to be successful. Or at least here's the kicker, they should be. Number nine, they should have resources for you to reference. Maybe it's a wiki page, an internet, whatever it might be. There is so much that HR teams build in terms of programs in terms of policy procedures, best practices. And I would guess most companies and most employees at most companies don't have a freaking clue. (laughs) It's just fact. Benefits, pay, you know, all this stuff that, you know, career pathing, resources on where you can go to grow your career, right? People and culture teams do a lot of work and they build a lot of amazing programs. And there has to be a resource that is widely known across the entire organization where all the employees can go to get that really important information. Number 10, we should have referral programs and that should be in those resources I referenced in number nine. Employee referral programs are, when done well, one of the best ways to hire really amazing people. My only caution is Also, just keep an eye out for diversity because sometimes employee referral programs aren't always the best at fueling diversity if an organization isn't as diverse as it wants to be already. So that's my only like, be mindful. Not to say don't do it. Absolutely do it. Just be mindful of it. Number 11, people and culture teams should investigate and kicker, kicker, kicker. (laughs) And this is so damn important. Take action on employee concerns and complaints. Sometimes employees are going to complain about stupid shit that people in culture isn't going to do nothing about. And we're like, we're going to listen and we're going to try and empathize and be there for support. But sometimes it's just petty BS and we're just, we're honestly just going to kind of do the smile and nod, right? And support the best we can. Other times there are serious issues, but that's where root cause analysis becomes so, so important. Because on the flip side of that, if something appears petty initially, but you actually have to look into it and make sure like, okay, root cause, is this just really petty crap? Or is there a serious underlying problem that needs to be addressed? So if there's a concern, a complaint, bare minimum, HR should be investigating. If it's something that's actually legit, then next step, we have to take action. Number 12, we have to have learning opportunities available to our employees. Employees are going to further their skill set. The good employees that we want to stay, if they don't have those opportunities here, they're going to find it somewhere else. Learning opportunities are directly correlated to retention. And retention is directly correlated to saving your company a shit ton of money. As a recruiter, I know painfully how costly it can be to hire and replace an amazing employee. 
And usually, if that employee is like 10 out of 10, creme de la creme, cream of the crop, insert your favorite phrase here, the person we hire after that probably isn't going to be that person. They're going to be good because we hire great people, but they may not be amazing. Give your employees the opportunities that they need so they don't go find it somewhere else. Because I promise you, if you don't, someone else will. Number 13, competitive compensation strategies and plans. I can tell you as a recruiter, one of the most frustrating things I can hear is companies who want to hire people at like the 30 to 40 percentile, but then, oh, Steph Lee, well, you have to hire the best of the best. (laughs) Okay. Here's the thing. (laughs) The best of the best gets paid the best of the best. The quality of talent you are going to attract 99% of the time will directly reflect your compensation strategy and plan, period. Now, there is that 1% where the opportunity is so good, it's so amazing, it's so unique, it's fill in the blank, right? That you might hire the best of the best for dirt cheap, but do not count on that because it is so rare and your jobs will be open forever or you're going to have to settle. One of the two. Recruiting and talent attraction and hiring the best talent, it's either a time or a money game. If you don't have the time, you better have the money. If you don't have the money, you better have a shit ton of time. (laughs) And I say shit ton because most companies want to hire like from the time a job is open to the time it's filled, ideally within 90 days. There's always exceptions, some way sooner, some take a lot longer, depending on the role, of course. That said, if you're hiring at the 30 percentile, Compared to the market and your competitors, there's no way that's happening in 90 days. 99% of the time, it's just not. Number 14, people and culture teams need to have programs, benefits, perks that support employee health and wellness. I know, it's so crazy. Why should employers give a shit about my health? One, I'm going to be more productive if I'm healthy. And two, it's going to cost them way less money down the road from a healthcare perspective. If I am stressed out, if I am eating junk food, if I am not having enough time in my day because I'm working 15 hours a day to get out and get movement in or exercise or do some yoga or meditation or something that is good for my health and wellness, including mental health, down the road, that will become costly because I will end up in the doctor. You can only survive in uh, burnout mode, right? Because essentially that's what that leads to for so long before your body's like, yeah, nah, we're not doing this no more, dragon. And it just, it shuts down. I've experienced burnout many times. I promise you it's not fun. 15, employee engagement surveys. And I know this sounds fluffy because everyone's like, oh, I don't want to do your survey. Listen, it has to be truly anonymous. It has to be. There's no like backwards way that we can look up people, you know, and kind of put them on the naughty list, so to speak. No, if it's anonymous, Ethically, it it truly has to be anonymous, but that's the only way people are going to give their true opinions. And if there's an open comment section, make sure whatever you're writing there, if you're you're worried about anonymity to the point where people aren't going to know it's you, we have to do them. And the executive leadership team has to commit to reviewing the results and the comments. If the only people in the organization that give a shit about the employee engagement surveys are the people and culture team, Nothing's going to change. Think about it like a mountain. I can be at the bottom of a mountain screaming my lungs out, right, at towards the top of the mountain and preaching whatever it is I feel like I need to tell leadership teams. And think about from the base of that mountain to the peak is all your employees in between. A few of those employees might hear it. A few of them might decide they give a fuck. However, if the exec team at the peak of that mountain is yelling down, right, it's, it's very different, right? People are going to adapt to things If leaders are engaged, interested, and truly care, and it's not just performative, like they 
actually care. Mm, that's another big one. And they should. You're in the executive leadership team and there are issues in your company and you don't care about employee engagement survey, you probably shouldn't be part of your executive leadership team because those issues out of those surveys, nine times out of 10, are what is going to be what makes or breaks the success of the organization. Number 16, DEI or DEIB, depending on who your company calls it, diversity, equity, inclusion, and if it's the B and belonging, you have to have it, number one. <laughs> But two, we should also have a strategy and metrics around it. So it shouldn't just be, this is important to us. It should be, this is important to us. Here's where we're at now. Here's where we want to be. And here's our different strategies and things we're going to try to get us there. Very different conversation of, it's important. 17, we have to have an energizing onboarding process and a really positive onboarding experience. We've all been scrolling through LinkedIn and like have seen the pictures, right? Oh my gosh, I just joined this company and here's all the cool goodies I got on day one. And here's all the awesome conversations I had my first week. Here's everything I'm learning, you know, within my first 90 days. And I'm not just saying like give gifts and move on, right? The entire onboarding experience, whether that's the first 90 days or the first 180, right? Either first three months or first six months, it has to be a positive experience. We have to give people the tools and resources they need to be successful at their job. Yes, oftentimes people are going to have to hit the ground running because that's just the world we live in, right? Where companies are finding it harder and harder to you know, hire top talent. And at the same point, while they're hitting that ground running, they also need that support. Number 18, we should have a clear organizational structure as well as a clearly defined org chart. So if me as a new employee or even an existing employee wants to know who's on the engineering team and I'm a recruiter and I don't hire for the engineering team, there should be some sort of online resource where I can go in and say, okay, cool, this is probably who I need to talk to, but I'm just going to reach out to them and ask if they're the right person, right? Simply knowing how many people are in your company, who's on your executive leadership team, and then who you can reach out to for possible questions. Of course, your manager is there to help and support her. They should be in a perfect world. (laughs) But as this world is proving to us every single day, we are not perfect. But anyway, that's a different conversation. It's a good resource. Everybody should have it. (laughs) Number 19. Defined company culture. I love when companies are like, oh my gosh, you should work for us because our company culture is so great. Cool. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to your company? It is embarrassing how many people cannot answer that question. And every company is going to be different and different employees within your organization might have a different viewpoint on what company culture is. However, we should be able to define it at the top level and maybe it's slightly different for each team, but also incorporated in that is what is our vision? What is our mission? What are our core values? What essentially, what's important? Why do we give a shit, right? (laughs) If we want to break that down and take out all the fluffy words, (laughs) that's essentially what we need to communicate because that allows people to say, hey, I really align with where this company is going or, oh man, maybe this isn't for me, right? And the people who align with where the company is going, those are going to be your advocates. Those are going to be the people who are going to work their ass off for you. And the other ones, honestly, they're probably causing issues already. Let's be honest. Or their performance isn't as great as you need it to be. Not always, but you know, usually. Number 20, there should be a way for people to submit questions, comments, concerns, anonymously. If your company utilizes any sort of DM software, I shouldn't say any, most. Slack is probably the most commonly known one. There are ways you can set up Slack channels to be completely anonymous. Do it. I promise you it's going to fuel some very well-needed conversations. There will be challenges make no mistake. However, as a company and as a people and culture team, I would rather have a pulse on what the employee population is concerned about versus 
have other issues come up because they don't have a place to talk about it. And yes, a lot of people are just going to bring issues to their manager or their teammates, but some stuff is big and some stuff is potentially controversial or really hard to talk about. So there are places, there needs to be a place for people to get that out. And if one person is thinking it, usually others are as well. 21. Thorough hiring practices. This one's big. New employees add to the company. They add to the bottom line. They add to success, right? They shouldn't be taking away. So if we make a great hire, awesome. We're full steam ahead towards success, towards hitting our goals. If we make a bad hire, it could derail the team or the project or the product in ways that you don't even want to know about. (laughs) And I can laugh because I've seen it, I've heard it, it is not fun. But there should be a good way to vet employees. And as a recruiter, I promise you, I am not advocating for a long process. I'm not advocating for it to be ridiculous. I'm simply saying it should be thorough, right? Good rule of thumb, a three-step process after the recruiter, right? So recruiter interview, usually a phone or like a quick video, you know, 20, 30 minutes from there, hiring manager interview, Second stage should be team members, so basically who that person is going to work with. And the third should be leadership team. Ideally, the first and third, they only talk to one person. And then the second stage, the middle stage, the team, maybe two to three. However, sometimes at the leadership level, it could be one or two. But you don't want them to have too many interviews and you don't want it to take too long either. But it shouldn't just be one and done either. And number 22, we should have career pathing and career progression support that we offer to our employees. And we should be having those conversations on a regular basis, whether it's HR directly or HR with your manager or just your manager. But behind the scenes, HR should be involved in those conversations and helping the leaders of an organization with career pathing exercises. So that's my list. Hopefully that was helpful, valuable, maybe entertaining. Maybe you laughed a couple times. I don't know. (laughs) If you have a topic you want me to cover, reach out, let me know. As always, I will help if I can. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here, listening, supporting the show. Check out the website for some additional resources, stephdennis.com. You can support the show simply by being here and listening, sharing with a friend. You can make monetary donations, PayPal, Cash App. All the links are in the description below. You can also subscribe monthly to the podcast, which is super awesome, on the Spotify app. Again, link below. Leave a rating and or review if you have a minute. Very much helps others find us. You can find me on the socials, StephDennis13, Instagram, and TikTok. And then over on Instagram at Career Talk Podcast as well. We are written, produced, hosted, and edited by yours truly. You are are so amazing, so great. I hope you have a beautiful rest of your day.